Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full-spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today with Connor and Steve. Yo. Hello. For those of you listening on the day that it comes out, today is February 3rd, 2020. Has anyone encountered anything new or interesting this week? I uh, just listened to Beck's uh, newer track, Uneventful Days. Not bad. Yeah. It's a little bit more like uh, soft, kind of like uh, maybe good for your morning commute or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I like Beck. Um, I, I, I'm i going to go off the topic of music. I did see uh, the new Star Wars, finally, The Rise of Skywalker. Is uh, apparently the last movie of the actual saga, being the uh, you know four through six, and then one through three, and now seven through nine. Um, the only way I can really describe it is all the reviews are pretty much on point, average film, kind of like in the fifty percent range. You know, a, a good watch, uh, but just for like real Star Wars plot line and just. I mean, it's very over the top. There's a lot of like nostalgic moments, a lot of characters that they talk, discuss about, or even you see in the movie that bring back memories of the originals. Uh, the last five minutes of the movie, the ending scene was very good. Uh, I did get like a little bit of like a chills thing. I think it was more so because it's like feeling like it's over, like mm. you can't believe it's over type feeling. Um, but yeah, very average movie. Um, I wouldn't recommend going to actually pay for it like I did to see it in theaters. It's definitely worth a watch if it comes on a streaming network or even if it's like, I don't know, a $1.99 rent and you're going to want to watch it with somebody and enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, it's just another water twig movie. Yeah, you could say that. It's uh, the last John Williams Star Wars movie, too. It is, yeah. Is it? Yeah, he's not doing it anymore. Oh, scores, yeah. And, and that's the thing. I think that's like a real big thing. It's like all the scenes in there, like when the scores happen by John Williams, like that's what really gives me the chills. Like that's what yeah. really makes the scenes. Um, and this movie kind of just like lost touch with like the real Star Wars, you know, aesthetic. But again, just a fun watch, but not really anything. What do you like better? This or Last Jedi? Honestly, just because the plot line from Last Jedi was rubbing off of uh, The Force Awakens, so I liked it. Because this movie literally starts with a whole new plot. Like, the way The Last Jedi ended, it just, like, they introduced, you know, you know, a little spoiler alert, they introduced Palpatine. He's actually in the film. You see him within the first 10 minutes. Um, and the scroll literally picks up with this whole new plot line. Um, so, like, Last Jedi, I think, was just better because it does rub right off of Force Awakens, and then this movie kind of comes out of fucking left field, mm-hmm. I mean, with the storyline. So, I think that's why I like Last Jedi better. Like I said, I, it's telling you, Connor, this is kind of like right in, like, Attack of the Clones uh, realm. Yeah. Yeah, I would put this at literally the bottom of those nine films. Yeah. <laughs> is it better or worse than Attack of the Clones? It's like, I would probably watch Attack of the Clones first just because of that fight scene with all the Jedi. Yeah, when uh, Mace Windu yeah you know, kills Jango Fett just because of that scene. It's probably Padme. Yeah, Padme. she was looking good on. Uh, she was looking pretty good. In, uh, yeah, she was. Yeah, she was. It's funny. <laughs> um, it's not really new, but it's interesting, and you know, there's probably gonna be some hate over this. But I was cruising through Hair Nation, and um, took a stop, and I was listening to it a little bit, and seven the song Seventeen by Winger came on. Those of you who don't know, Winger is an 80s, but they're basically like butt rock before butt rock. Really. Isn't that the band that like kid that- Stewart. Yeah, Stewart. Yeah, Stewart wore the Winger shirt on yeah. Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> 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 but- Shut I'm, up, Stewart. <laughs> 
it it's a pretty good song. I mean, I like it. Um, I I think I only know like one other winger song. And they're just another one of those bands, dude, like Rat and fucking Warrant and shit that get a lot of hate. Rounds or Rat is the best one. Round and Round's pretty tolerable. Actually, besides Round and Round, dude, dude, if you actually got into Rat, like there's a lot of way better songs than Round and Round. Out of the Cellar. Yeah, like um, You're in Love's Insanely Good. Um, God damn it. Stephen Percy. Um, I forget what the guitar player's name was. Robin something. Crosby. Robin Crosby. There we go. I know my rat. <laughs> wow, I'm kind of impressed, Connor. To be honest with you. Lay it down. That's the other one. <laughs> Lay it down has got an awesome riff in the beginning. Like that. That shit would catch it. Like get you in. Yeah. No bullshit. Yeah, rat is a. They weren't the worst of the worst. Like no. I'll take rat over. Like they weren't like poison or something like Scorpions. that. Scorpions. Yeah. yeah. Scorpions. Yeah. yeah. They were like a harder poison. They get bunched into the scene, but Skid Row is like the one that I really appreciate. They get I, was, oh, yeah. I would put Rat in with Skid Row. Where yeah, like, it's Skid like, Row. Skid Row just because of uh, the Slave of the Grind album. Like that album. Oh, just, fuck yeah, yeah, dude. That album's actually Slave of the really Grind's good. awesome. Yeah, like Monkey Business. and even the time Rat's like, yeah. like the bush of that scene. Like they're like yeah. definitely a ripoff of some stuff, but yeah. they're not bad. Yeah, exactly. You, like, they're, yeah. you can listen to them. Yeah. Yeah, they have stuff that you can listen to. Yeah. Exactly. On this day in music history. 1959, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and JP, the big bopper, Richardson, are killed in a plane crash. Don McLean will call it the day the music died in his 1971 hit, American Pie. It is the day the music died. Yeah. Yep. I'm, I like Richie Valens a lot. Yeah, man. Yeah. Buddy Holly, too. Obviously, man. Buddy I mean, Holly. Obviously, yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like one of these days we should watch La Bamba. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I like that movie. That's on Netflix. Yeah. Is okay. it? Yeah, we could do that soon. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to watch that. Get ready, folks. Um, <laughs> but anyway, 1960, Frank Sinatra launches the first fully uh, artist-owned label, Reprise Records, uh, so he can own his own masters. Some of his cohorts, including Dean Martin and Rosemary Clooney, join the label, which is sold to Warner Brothers in 1963, where it becomes a known a home to a number of famous uh, acts, including Jimi Hendrix, Joni Mitchell, and Green Day later on. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Uh, Neil Young was on it too. Was he? Yeah. That, that was the, um, that, that was like his, that wasn't the eighties era, right? Nah, he was always on reprise and then reprise shut down for a little bit in the eighties. Okay. And they weren't like doing new releases anymore, just back catalog. And then Neil Young was forced to go, uh, scout hunt around for a new deal and okay. landed at Geffen and Geffen was pissed. This, this coincided with like a period where Neil Young wanted to like change his sound <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't commercially successful. And Geffen was like pissed. Yeah, they thought they were hiring like you know, a rock, you know, like uh, Dynamo <laughs> who was just gonna crank sales for them. I feel yeah. like since we started this podcast, I've like gotten like a school on Neil Young. He's got quite a history. It's funny because <laughs> progressively through this show, I've listened to more and more Neil Young as it goes on. And <laughs> I like Neil. Neil Young is just like you know a blister you've come to enjoy. Like I did, it wasn't you really. Know it was my- like Neil Young. I wasn't a huge fan. I didn't know anything outside of like what Harvest and uh, you know obviously Old Man and that whole yeah, album. Harvest, I didn't really yeah. know much outside of that. And then I listened to that live at Massey Hall, and I was like, "Fuck yeah, all right, yeah, I can get with man. this." 
He's the man. Yeah, and then I obviously went into Buffalo um, Springfield. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I did. I went to that. I went back yeah. to Crosby Stills and all that stuff with them. Like I listened to that live album Four Way Street with Crosby Stills, Nash and Young, and dude, yeah. there's not a single Neil Young Crazy Horse album I don't like. Yeah, no. Anytime yeah, he gets a Crazy uh, Horse, I'm definitely in. Yeah, after yeah. I listened to Psychedelic Pill, man, I went yeah. backwards. Yeah, it was even Psychedelic Pill. Yeah, yeah like all the way it. into the 2010s. Yeah, yeah, still rocking Crazy Horse. Oh yeah, the free world. Um, <laughs> 1969, Beatles John Lennon, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr hire Alan Klein as the group's new manager against the express wishes of Paul McCartney, who preferred his father-in-law, Lee Eastman. The dissension would prove to be the deciding factor in the group's breakup a year later. We have sources that say otherwise. Yes. <laughs> what? Yoko. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna blame this on not hiring Paul's father-in-law. I mean, they're probably lucky they didn't go on into the seventies. Honestly, yeah, I think. Oh, I with think that they, whole change, like, I yeah. think the whole aura of them like being like complete pioneers would have collapsed in the seventies because they would have got uh, overshadowed. I was gonna by say, do you acts. think though, mm-hmm. if they put out music in the seventies during that time, even though those albums specifically would have been overshadowed by the current, you know, stretch of music that was happening. Do you think that would have overshadowed their career? They though? wouldn't have been able to touch Led Zeppelin. No, I think they're a band that wouldn't have evolved with Sabbath. the times. But do you think that would have tainted their career compared to what we see them as now if they had this whole blemish of like a decade worth of crap? Yeah, if they broke up in like 1977 with like a bad disco album or something. Yeah, like, yeah do you think yeah. that would have hurt? Like, It could have. I mean, think about it. Yeah. Part yeah, of what I, people yeah. like about the Beatles is that it's so neat and tidy and they wrapped it up so nice with Abbey yep. Road. That is true. Be, that is true. Know. Exactly. But anyway, 1979, 20 years after the plane crash that killed Buddy Holly, uh, the Big Bopper, and Richie Valens, uh, Del Shannon and the Drifters perform a tribute show in Clear Lake, Iowa, where Holly's last concert took place. It's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, it's nice. That is neat. Yeah. I also like the Buddy Holly movie, now that I think about it. Which one's that? Uh, it's the one with Gary Busey. I forget what it's called. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 1981, at the Who concert at the Rainbow Theater in London, Pete Townsend drinks four bottles of brandy on stage, and instead of playing mouths off to the crowd, his bandmates just keep playing without him. Months later, Townsend gets treatment for his alcoholism but turns to drugs, once again putting his life in danger. In early 1982, he rehabs again and finally gets sober. Not a fan of Pete Townsend. Nah. Nope. General consensus? No. No. Fuck him. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck Pete Townsend. I love how in that caption, though, it's like he goes to treatment for uh, alcohol but later turns to drugs. Like, that was like a better alternative. (laughs) I can't drink. I might as well just do narcotics now. This is safer. (laughs) Kurt Cobain got flack from Pete Townsend for saying in an interview, I'd rather die than turn into Pete Townsend. (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here first. We're bringing that line back. Yeah. 1989, Wild Thing by Tone Loke becomes the first rap single certified platinum with sales of over 1 million copies sold. Oh, wow. Funny thing, last week you were talking about uh, Janie's Crying, Janie's crying yeah. and you know that that yeah. song is 100% sampled from that. Oh, yeah. It <clears throat> makes you wonder. Yeah, like even like... Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, it's a good song, no denying it, but I, I've never heard anything about them suing Tone Loke or anything. I'm sure he did it right with them. Probably. Yeah. I mean, at that point, you have to think 1989, Van Halen was extremely commercial at that point in time. They had a lot of fucking things going for them, and they were probably fucking just like, fuck it. Do it. 
the powers that be it. didn't give a damn about sampling until Public Enemy did it, and then they were like, "Whoa, y'all are <laughs> y'all are too good at this," <laughs> and we ain't getting paid like we should be. Um, but anyway, 1997, David Bowie releases the electronica influenced album Earthling, including the Grammy nominated song for best male rock vocal performance dead man walking and the paranoia tinge track i'm afraid of americans featuring trent reznor of nine inch nails i'm afraid of americans yeah have you still not heard that song steve i do no, i've heard it i missed that song a little bit not well you, you're you still on the boycott completely oh yes 100%. <laughs> dude I, i'm not gonna lie i listen to that song all the time but he's out for me Dude, that fucking song is so good. And yeah. honestly, I, I I think the reason why I like it so much is the Nine Inch Nails like part of it. Like it's just perfect. Like it's just a cool song. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool collab. Yeah. It really a good is. Feature. Extremely good feature. Yeah. Indeed it is. Um, almost almost like it stole it or something. It was weird. Yeah. <sighs> almost. In two thousand three. We have Phil Spector charged with murder after police are called to his 33-room mansion in Alhambra, California, and discover the actress Lena Clarkson dead from a gunshot wound. Hmm. I much think I remember like something about that. Yeah. I think he didn't go to jail for it till like, years later. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. Like, like, 2010 or 12. Oh, or is something. that just for, like, trial issues? I yeah. Mean, okay. He probably just kept delaying it yeah. and delaying it. Um, but, yeah. 2015, former Death Row record CEO Suge Knight is rushed to the hospital after pleading not guilty in his connection with a fatal hit and run just days before. Speaking of uh, murderous producers, his friend Terry (laughs) Carter was killed in the incident and actor Clay Danielle Sloan was injured during an altercation over the NWA biopic Straight Outta Compton. Knight faces charges of murder and attempted murder along with two counts of hit and run. Dude, he shouldn't have ever even been on that fucking set. Like, he really no. shouldn't have, yeah. No, he had no business being there. He had nothing to do with NWA. No. Yeah. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. They used his likeness in the movie, and, you know, the, there is a Suge Knight part in it, but... The, well, NWA didn't do anything with Suge Knight, right? It was just Dr. Dre. Well, that's the thing, though. The uh, Straight out of Compton branches off, like, as uh, Dr. Dre starts Death Row. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like the Suge Knight part was such, like, a critical part of the movie, but it definitely wasn't anything that he needed to be there for, like a... You know, like a fact checker. It's just like everyone knew that he was fucking crazy. He didn't need to be there to prove it and then kill somebody. So I told you I was fucking crazy. It's true. Music news. Today in music news, February 3rd, 2020. First thing we got here is uh, Pearl Jam announced a new album, Gigaton, and uh, North American tour dates. Uh, they released their 11th album, Gigaton, on uh, March 27th, their first album of new material since 2013's Lightning Bolt, uh, marking the longest period of time they've ever gone between albums. Lead-off single, Dance of the Clairvoyance, will be released in the coming weeks. Um, Mike McCready said in a statement, making this record was a long journey, was emotionally dark and confusing at times, but also an exciting experimental roadmap into music redemption. Collaborating with my bandmates on Gigaton, ultimately gave me greater love awareness and knowledge of the need for human connection in these times uh josh evans of pearl jam produced the album evans has previously worked on an engineer for projects for soundgarden chris cornell mad season jeff amen and mccready but it's his first time producing a pearl jam record um on january 20th they released a track listing which is uh 
Whoever Said, Super Blood Wolf Moon, Dance of the Clairvoyance, Quick Escape, All Right, 7 O'Clock, Never Destination, Take the Long Way, Buckle Up, Comes Then Goes, Retrograde, and River Cross. They should have named this album 11. 11. <laughs> they should have. There's 12 songs still. Oh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't sure. name the last one 10. Yeah. Me. Yeah. <laughs> damn. Um, yeah, saying the group will hit the road. There. Yeah. yeah, damn. We'll see if it's musical redemption because they need it after fucking lightning. I was going to uh, ask you. Of shit. I can't remember uh, what album was the fixer on. What was that called? Backspacer. That was eleven years ago. Okay. Yeah. What came out? Was Lightning Bolt come out after that? Two thousand thirteen. Okay, that so was Backspacer it. was the last album I did here. I didn't even listen to Lightning Bolt. Nah, I, I no. heard the singles from it, and I didn't like. You didn't them. listen to the album at all. Nah. Okay. Uh, the cool thing about streaming albums, um, like I like it's funny, like I go out now and I buy records if like like I like every record I've bought recently and actually own now is like albums that I already have on Apple Music downloaded easily for my monthly fee. You know, thank you, corporations. Um but yeah, I mean this is the, the that's a good thing about streaming music because then you get the opportunity to really listen to an album in its entirety. Um and then you know, obviously, I make that case to go out and buy it. If I really enjoy it, I would like to give something to the artist and pay that recognition. But also, I just like owning a physical copy. So, I mean, like, let me. I mean, are you going to listen to this? You think when it comes out? Definitely the singles. If the singles yeah. sound all right. Then, then yeah. you'll go back and listen yeah. to it. Because sometimes if, I'm I'm a big fan of not wasting my time on legacy artists. Yeah. Like, uh, later career bullshit yeah. like attention grabs i usually yeah. just like the opportunity for the, <laughs> i usually just like the opportunity like what was the last metallica uh, album you guys liked the last one i liked yeah like which one was the last one you like to listen to still black i don't album. even want to answer black that. album yeah yeah, yeah not so even, there you go. i don't want to even go that it far. gets to a point where it's like <laughs> pearl jam is now a band where they even Backspacer, like Backspacer had a couple good tracks. Yeah. But for me to go back to a whole album from Pearl Jam that I, I, I will listen to again uh, front to back by my own choice. Self-titled. Self-titled. Yeah. Okay. That yeah, that's fair. I mean, but do you like the opportunity that when they do this, it kind of puts them in a position where they're going to tour? Yeah. And, and more thoroughly? Now, I would like to see Pearl Jam live. I haven't caught them. But, yeah. Um, I've heard they're incredible live. Same. But... um. Yeah, I have all their albums up until Backspacer, um, but it gets to a point where you just don't want to spend the money. Yeah, I would just yeah, like I would it. rather just use that. Like, I just like the opportunity to use it for a touring appearance as opposed to yeah, me going. This is out. the first grunge album from one of the big. Oh wait, no, Allison Chains probably put out an album since Chris Cornell died. They did. Yeah, um, they did. Rainier yeah, Rainier Rainier Fog. Fog. Yeah, 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 that's since Chris Cornell died. Yep. Yep. So Allison Chains, they might have put out two albums since he died. No, Devil Put Dinosaurs here came out in 2013. Okay. Also, update me just for uh, purposes. Is the band of Pearl Jam still the same? Except for, yeah. the, except for the drummer. Okay. Yeah, so but it's Matt Cameron's been in there longer, longer than, than any of the yeah. other drummers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But you didn't play on any of their like biggest albums. No. Started on Yield. Wait, so Matt Cameron recorded on Lightning Bolt? Yeah. Really? Yeah, Matt mm-hmm. Cameron's been their drummer since Yield. Wow. I didn't know that. Since 1998. Okay. Well, he, he joined Pearl Jam right after uh, Soundgarden broke up the first mm-hmm. time. And then when Soundgarden got back together, he didn't leave Pearl Jam. He uh, played just double Pearl Jam. Yeah, double duties. Interesting. Pearl Garden. Pearl Garden. <laughs> <laughs> Sound Jam. 
<laughs> Speaking of last albums that we'll listen to by a certain band. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next thing here in music news is uh, Metallica donates $750,000 to Australian bushfire relief efforts. Um, heavy, heavy rock legends, Metallica. Notice how it says heavy rock, not heavy metal. Uh, legends of Metallica are sending more than thoughts and prayers to those battling the bushfire emergency in Australia. Um, the Bay Area Rockers pledged over $750,000 to the NSW Rural Fire Service and to the Country Fire Authority in Victoria to support the relief efforts. Um, an issue released by the band states, we are totally overwhelmed uh, by the news of the wildfire sweeping through millions of acres across Australia with major impact in New South Wales and Victoria. The resulting destruction and devastating effects on all residents, animals, the environment, and the incredible land in Australia is truly heartbreaking. Um, the band uh, also went a step further by posting a string of tweets with the background to the ongoing bushfire tragedy and information on how others can help. Jeff you know, Bezos only donated 690000 Yeah. So Metallica donated 60000 more than the, on average, richest man in the world. world yeah. yeah. See, here's the thing. I don't like to get in, like, pissing matches when I see these articles about these, like, you know, any type of famed celebrity or icon or, like, rich individual donating. Like, you'll see someone, like, donate 100 grand, and you know their net worth. Like, that's really, like, if me or any of us put up, like, a $5 donation money order that yeah. we spent $2 for and sipped it over there. But, again, it's still seven hundred fifty grand. Yeah, it's the a lot one of money. thing that bothers me, and I don't want to get political, Not for him. huh? No, Not no, no for, for Metallica. I mean. yeah, exa- oh, yeah, but that's what Metallica, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, just on that grand spectrum, if you judge worth and how much money actually is to them compared to like simple folk like ourselves. Um, but then it's like, I don't, like I said, I don't want to get too political. But do, like, you remember when uh, Notre Dame burned down? Yeah, yeah. And like, how much money was raised in such a short period of time to r- restore that church? It's kind of like it's bothersome to know that it's been weeks now since this has obviously been happening. And it just comes to light here and there of how much money is going there, how much money is going there. Certain artists will come out and say, but it's like the amount of money that was raised to that church and how quickly it's a little concerning. Well, and the Amazon fires were going on when that happened. And, and that was way like less donations. That, but that yeah. wasn't even like news which was wow. crazy mm-hmm. and it's also that when you just, see spread on social you media see articles yeah. and you like see like pictures from nasa of like what this country looks like it almost literally looks like the entire country is on fire yeah it's scary looking and they said a bbc uh, news reporter came out and estimated and i don't know what they actually used to qualify but literally I and mean, even my father debated this with me because it was half a billion animals yeah have died half a billion my dad was like no there was half a million i'm like no 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 like Half a billion animals have died. Koalas are going extinct. It's unbelievable. And it's like, I don't know. It's just kind of sad when it's like you put your priorities in check and understand like, you know, like the the church in Notre Dame was more of an iconic thing. And I'm not saying that like one thing is worse than the other. Like you should help whenever you can help. It's just kind of bothersome to know like where are people's mindsets at that you can raise billions of dollars in such a short period of time to restore an iconic church as opposed to donate a country to a country that's literally on fire still fucked up well the the fires were 
intentionally set in both well yeah locations. they arrested what 200 and some people and then yeah. they got out of control yeah but they also too arrested like hundreds of people up to 200 and 100 and some were actually uh, brought in for questioning uh, specifically towards arson crimes and again I don't want to get into like a whole political climate you know debate about that and stuff but it's just now again it's just kind of sad when you hear these stories and like again I don't ever like to compare and say oh you're you're, you're Metallica $750,000 so like, like no I'm that's good I'm glad to hear that um, well, Metallica—that's pretty. Su- that's a pretty hefty donation. It is. They're not billionaires. They're exactly. They yeah. probably have like combined under a hundred million net worth. Easily. Yeah, so exactly. That's like between the four of them, that's a nice chunk. But see, that's the thing wealth. though. Like Bezos doing six hundred and ninety. Yeah. M- six hundred ninety thousand or whatever. Yeah. That's equivalent to like us giving like sixty-nine cents. cents. That's what I'm saying. Like cents. sending over like oh, yeah, like if paying that. more for the money. Yeah. Over. Um. But again, I mean, for him to at least do that, it's kind of good. But then it's like, are you doing it's that? For PR so you're n- yeah, exactly. exactly comes out as a PR thing, and the fact that it's like such a weird amount, like six hundred ninety thousand. Like, I like, forget what the like big thing advisor. he got shit for for donating to before that was, but people got mad, and then like this debate popped up where it's like, well, he's still donating more money than you'll donate in your whole life, or Probably whatever. Yeah, account prior to this tax deductible. He literally, yeah, he just moved <laughs> money from, um his bank account to an Amazon charity that pledged to do stuff for that cause. I forget what it was. And that's like a tax write off at that point. So it benefits him directly, you know, financially. Yep. But, yeah. um, yeah, we can move on to Mac Miller. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mac Miller's, uh, posthumous album circles drops. Uh, Mac Miller had an album drop that was supposed to be a, uh, companion piece to his last album swimming. Uh, the rap, the rapper's record circled, circles dropped uh, January seventeenth and was written by Miller uh, at the time of his death in two thousand eighteen. Didn't that uh, drop on the same day as the Eminem album? Yes, it did. Yeah, okay. we didn't mention that last week. I I think that's kind of messed up. Yeah, that I think M- it's Eminem up. did that. I mean, you, you kind of put this hype out there, especially with Mac Miller, like the first posthumous album. Like you remember when? Uh, what was the name of the first po- Tupac album? The posthumous one. Machiavelli was it Machiavelli that was the first posthumous one but he had recorded it before he died yeah but that was the first posthumous album to release yeah the first one that was finished after he died was are you still down are you still down okay with like do for love on it and it's like you understand like the hype that comes around that I mean to hear new work by Mac Miller especially in the wake of his death I mean it's still pretty much fresh I mean I remember um like NPR does these tiny desk concerts. And I, I remember like that being the most viewed one after his death and people really starting to revisit his music. And then this new album comes out like Eminem was going to really like you knew like, well, you Eminem, had an opportunity. Like Eminem's don't... probably so out of touch that he probably didn't even know the fucking. No, like, you know, like, you know, Matt, like Mac Miller, I don't put in that same category of like underground, like weird hip hop artists. You think Eminem's like actively I would listening hope to so. new Mac releases? Miller. I would hope he yeah. knew about Mac Miller releasing this album. That was like, you know, know, man. It's kind of sad. I mean, because again, I have both respect for both those artists, but um, I still haven't even listened to this Mac Miller album. No, um, I mean, and I actually enjoy some of his stuff, so I'm going to check it out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's cool. I think that's cool when they do posthumous albums. I think it's not cool so much when they go to the extent of doing hologram shows and they keep releasing more and more work. I think like at some point you do have to understand like when to call it quits. So it's like that opportunity where you get some new work out there, you know, maybe on release tracks. A lot of bands do that. Well, I heard on this uh, new Pearl Jam tour, uh, Mac Miller's Hologram is going to be opening on the 16 dates. How much is it going to cost? Like $150. $150 for, for lawn. Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl, yeah. Um, Come see us, 350 for the lawn only. 
this week we want to talk about features that stole the song. Well, I think the uh, most, I wouldn't say infamous, but the most famous uh, steal the show story and one of the most popular songs of that is Under Pressure uh, by Queen. Yeah. It's a Queen song. Yeah, but a lot of people think of it as a Bowie song. Yeah, yeah. and there was like a huge rift between Freddie Mercury and David Bowie because you had those, uh, you know, both of their attitudes and personas on that recording session. And um, yeah, there was like a big rift between the two of them, like the whole spotlight thing. It wasn't even like they really wanted it to be so much of a Bowie-influenced song as opposed to a shared combined effort. Yeah, and it's funny because it's a Queen song. I remember the first time I heard that too, I was like, Wow, this and I didn't even really know Queen. Like, I was like, wow, like the singer sounds totally different in this one. You know, I was like really confused as like a young kid, like wondering, like, wow, this is Queen. This is funny because this doesn't sound anything like We Are the Champions. He sounds totally different in this one. And then obviously later on, you realize <laughs> the fucking story behind that. But yeah, I mean, I think that's one of those songs. I don't necessarily think it says like, oh, it made it better, but it's it's an iconic song just for what it is. Um, but yeah, that I'll use that song to kind of set the tone for. Uh, you know, what we're kind of getting at here. But yeah, I think that's one of the most like famous, you know, steal the show stories of a queen song or. A I got one. Song. Billy Preston on get back. Ooh, get back. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You want to elaborate though? Well, that's like the only Beatles song with a feature besides the Eric Clapton one. Yeah. But I was going to say, my guitar Clapton, oh, yeah. shit. Yep. Okay. Um, huh. And it's a non, yeah, like while my guitar gently weeps, it's a non-vocal feature, it's instrumental. Yeah. He was on uh, keyboards. Um, I got got my mind made up. Tupac, all eyes on me, features Meth and Red. I think they stole the show. Yeah. Um, it's not like one of the strongest tracks on the album, but Meth and Red, you know, they're like, yeah, oh, they we're getting on a Tupac album. Like we gotta, <laughs> we gotta fucking do kill it. Fuck we can. Yeah. Um, and. Red Man, I think, wasn't even supposed to be on it. This oh, was shit. before they were a duo. They were just cool, I think. <laughs> and um, I could be wrong about that, but um, whatchamacallit, they, Red Man, I think Corrupt was going to do his verse, and then he like couldn't make it to the studio one day or something, and Red Man was just with Method Man, who was oh, already shit. big with Wu-Tang. <laughs> and... Um, right man got the hot but tupac was like well you want to get on like that's awesome could you imagine that yeah like tupac just saying yeah all right well since you're here do you uh yeah a more yeah. iconic one nothing but a g-tang yeah Snoop. That's yeah that's true that's like he he beats dre rapping yeah on that sorry yeah falling back on that ass with the hell of five gangster lean yeah Getting funky on the mic like an old patch of collard greens <laughs> It's a shame that uh, Dre didn't put more effort into Snoop. Yeah. Because Snoop Snoop has one of the greatest flows of all time. He's like underrated in his actual ability. 100%. Like he's a a wizard. He, uh, as far as that early 90s, like for me, besides Tupac, it's probably Snoop. Like as far as like rappers with the best flows, like. Yeah. And Snoop might even have a better flow than Tupac. I just like Tupac's like whole thing better. I guess Biggie had a really good flow though. Yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna bring it up too. Uh, Method Man's the only one to feature on a Biggie album and a Tupac album, and oh, and Method Man is the only feature on Ready to Die. The rest is all Biggie. Oh shit! Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, that scene too. Like between that, like Big Pun, Big Pun had a really good flow. Um, 
but yeah, dude, I, that that would be funny, like getting that phone call, especially being Redman to be able to get on that track. Oh yeah, I, I just thinking about that. That is a wild story. I didn't know that. That's really funny. And wow. the song's called "Got My Main My Mind Made Up." Yeah. It's not like a hit or anything. Yeah, I know, but still, just the but opportunity. You got all these at that rappers yeah, on it, dude. Like, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's really fucking awesome. It's almost like um. Bitch Please too on uh Marshall Mathers LP yeah. too. Yeah. That's got good features on it. Even Exhibit sounds good on that. That's yeah. like Snoop Exhibit and I forget who else. Yeah, I remember Bitch, like you must have a mental disease. Assume <laughs> the position and get back down in your knees. Dude, the late nineties, like early two thousands had a lot of like those artists that were all coming around together and you would always get like those crazy collab songs and like that would make the fucking song. The beat in I, that song's good too. Bitch yeah, Please too. Yeah. Then then yeah, 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 yeah. But what do you got? I have, well, this is more like a generalized thing. Any feature that Eminem has ever done on anyone else's song. <laughs> okay. Period. Yeah, I was going to say that. Like, period. Yeah. Renegade. Yeah. Jay Z. Yep. Dude, Definitely got a Patiently waiting with 50 Cent. Features. Forever Drake. Gat, Gat yeah. Man. We Ain't With The Game off the documentary. Drop The World. Yep. All the D12 stuff. <laughs> I mean, Dude, Eminem is just that guy. Like, yeah. like if you, it's almost like, um, like, all right, we have this song, we think it's all right, we need something to like put it over the top. Call up M. Was he on Still Dry? No, I don't no, think so. Okay, he was on I Need a Doctor, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that was ba- it. Was basically him. Like that was he was the whole song. Dre did one verse. Yeah. Yeah. But, dude, like anything, any fucking, any feature that Eminem does on a song, he steals it every time. Yeah. Like, I can't think of one song where he was on there and it wasn't like, oh, fuck. Like, he fucked this song up. I think it's funny, too, because when we talk about, like, when the Massacre uh, the massacre came out by 50 Cent, when Get Rich or Die Trying came out, when the documentary came out, um, every song that said featuring Eminem, was probably the first song like I went to listen to first. Like you mentioned, like Gatman and Robin. Oh yeah, I was like, oh yeah, is that ha- um, Eminem song here? Not Eminem, but back to that era. Uh, Fifty Cent's feature on "Hate It or Love It." Oh by, yeah, uh, dude, the, the documentary. Yeah. But here's the song. thing, though, dude. I think Fifty Cent was one of those featured artists where he didn't have that same type of style. He, he carried that song, but even yeah. how we do. This is how we do. That's Fifty Cent singing that. Th- yeah. th- he's featured on that. Okay, that's the game. Fresh, that's his like, song. Uh, that he's Impala, featured, but uh, that yeah. But I think the game though on yeah, that I, album. I, just yeah. I think yeah. the game on that album though was just at his best. So it was really hard. So I think those collab songs like just meshed right. Oh yeah. Whereas like when Fifty Cent was featured on the Eminem show before the game was even think, a known individual, Eminem like. I think the game and Fifty ended up having a falling out. They did. Oh yeah, huge. Yeah, huge, dude. Yeah, then uh, it was that, I forget the album that was released after that, but then um, One Blood, I remember that single came out. Uh, that was like a big, like, fuck you to, like, G-Unit and all that stuff that was going on between them. He came out and, like, called like, fake gangsters. He did a bunch of, like, 300 bars, like, freestyles against 50 Cent. The 50 Cent <laughs> would come out. It was like that. That was, like, when rap was, like, really fucking, like, interesting with those beefs because then, like, a lot of good music came out of those That's things. That's true. Yeah. It was kind of like the last good era. Of rap, it really, really it was like fun, dude. Yeah. It was really fun to listen to. It was G-funk. really good music. The end yeah. of G-Funk. G-Funk, dude. All right, I got a couple more. Uh, you had mentioned it earlier. The uh, 
the solo on Michael Jackson's 1983 smash hit "Beat It." Who did Makes that solo, song. Bill? Edward Van Halen. Uh, can't mention features and not mention that. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's an iconic one. It's just funny, like the story behind that. Like uh, Van Halen was on a break in between tours. I believe 1984. Uh, 1984 was already recorded, and they were waiting to release it. And Eddie was sitting at home, and he got a phone call, and uh, he answers it. You know. Who is this? Oh, it's Quincy. And he hangs up the phone. This happened three more times. And then finally he answered the phone and Michael Jackson was on the fucking other line. <laughs> he's like, we, hey, Eddie, we need you to come down here and play solo. <laughs> so then apparently, if what I heard was correct, beat it, the whole solo section uh-huh. was originally supposed to be just the verse. Yeah. And he restructured just, it. Dun, dun. Yeah, and he restructured the whole solo section of the song. Like he actually took the tapes home to Fifty One Fifty Studios and cut them and spliced them, and then put the solo on top of it. Apparently, the solo was done in one take. Wow. Yeah. Just like oh, this was during nineteen eighty four. Oh, dude. (laughs) Wait, was this in between the nineteen eighty four recordings with Van Halen? In between or after? It was. During because um because that's when like Eddie was getting kind of fucked up wasn't well, it no like he because like 1984 was like one of the big reasons like afterwards with like jump and stuff why they split yeah but that yeah I mean he wasn't getting fucked up he was getting more like experimental with music, that's what I mean definitely. like he was getting more weird and like started to come yeah. more like yeah well see what happened was. Eddie did it because at that point, no one knew Thriller. No one knew how big fucking Thriller was going That's to be. That's very true, yeah. And he's like, oh, this is some dude's, some dude's record. No one will ever know I was on it. Little yeah. did he know it would be one of the greatest selling fucking albums of all time. Yeah, that's awesome. And 1984 only made it to number two because of Thriller. <laughs> that's super <laughs> ironic. Apparently, dude. that was like a point of contention with David Lee Roth and Eddie. I was going to say, because, imagine like, you like, kept our album from number one. When we joke around like, all the asshole. time. And you take the <laughs> they isolated. Had a number one album? Not with Dave. No. Their first uh, number one was with Sammy. <laughs> wow, that's, that's just funny. You know, it's funny though. You think about it, like, because me and Bill, we always talk about this with like the isolated uh, guitar tracks for Jump. Yeah. And, like, I laugh at it. And to think, like, the isolated guitar track for Beat It is better than the hit single from Van Halen's 1984. And then now that you mentioned that it trumped it on the charts. Yeah. That's fucking hilarious. Oh, fuck yeah. That's so goddamn ironic. Dude. I mean, not to, um, not to discredit any of the other musicians on said track is uh, Steve Lukather from Toto. Yeah. He played that. Um, and various other members of Toto. They were the studio band for Thriller. But um, huh. anyways, my last feature that stole the show is from the 1990 EP from Alice in Chains, Sap. And the song is Right Turn. The feature that stole the show was Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell does nothing but steal shows. Dude, honestly, yeah. <laughs> like that whole like ending, that ending thing where he's like, what I believe. Like, I can't even do it. But yeah. like he stole it. Like, yeah. What like, dude, it, like, it was all around a good song, and there was other features on it, too. But Chris Cornell's was just fucking perfect, man. Yeah, he's... Uh, like, that made that song. Yeah. And it's funny, too, like, how well him and Lane actually harmonized in that song as well. 
Yeah, and it's funny. I think it is cool to know that Chris Cornell like did mesh because then we talk about like collabs. You talk about, I mean, Temple of the Dog obviously being a band, but when you talk about the song Hunger Strike, yeah, that's another. Like, I think Eddie Lane. I mean, Chris. I mean, Chris was one of those guys you could put with any of those artists, and it would have been awesome. I mean, yeah. his well, voice, Eddie and Chris were perfect because oh, Eddie hits the lows like nobody yeah, else, dude. and Chris yeah. hits the highs like nobody else. Yeah, that's very but even true. Chris, dude, like in his lows, like he can have like yeah, like with nah, the way that song. Well. That's what I'm yeah. saying. He yeah. was very dynamic, man. Like his stuff with Audio Slave. Every yeah, beginning, his, he's all low. Exactly. I know. That's what it's very and it's very hard to determine when you first listen to that song if you're not used to both of those singers to determine which one was which. Oh hell but yeah! But then when Chris starts picking up the highs and it's just Eddie doing the lows and like the harmony, then you can really hear that like okay, that was him and that was him. Yeah. But yeah, that that's one of those songs too. But yeah, dude, with um, yeah, Chris was one of those like best featured, you know, of that like grunge scene. That's one of my pop. Yeah. That's like I don't care how popular it is. That's Definitely one of my favorite grunge tunes. What? Hunger Strike. Oh, yeah. It never yeah, gets it's old. It's one of my favorite songs. Never gets old. It is dude. kind of funny that it repeats so the same sounding. two phrases the whole time. <laughs> it's uh, the same two yeah. phrases the entire song. What? The the verses? Well, that song's just so yeah, pure. That's the whole song. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> that song was just like a tribute to the spirit of their fallen, you know, yeah. homie. Yeah. You know? This is crazy. Great song. Andrew Wood. Um, yep. Just uh, some honorable mentions as well. Um, Carrie King featured on Goddamn Electric by Pantera as well as No Sleep Till Brooklyn by the Beastie Boys. Artista Spoonman on Spoonman. Artista Spoonman. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, true, true <laughs> indeed. Um, we also have Steve Vai was featured on the song Terminal Show off of the album Inferno by uh, Motorhead, respectively. Uh, Steve Vai did the entire guitar work for that song, which I found out a few weeks ago, actually, I watched a documentary. I thought that was super interesting. Pepper Keenan from Down on the cover of Tuesday's Gone on Ooh, Metallica's yes. Garage Inc. Yes. Along with Jerry Cantrell and Gary Rosington. From down, like the down that had Phil Anselmo in it. Yeah. 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 Pepper Keenan's actually a very good vocalist, too. Like, extremely good I like vocalist. that song by them, Stone the Crow. Yeah, fuck yeah. That's a good uh, we one. could also say uh, Dave Grohl on Tenacious Day. Yeah. 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 I had uh, Setting Sun by the Chemical Brothers features Noel Gallagher. That's mm, a really yeah. good song. And he definitely steals the show with yeah. his like, Beatle-ass vocals. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Capadonna on Winter Wars by Ghostface. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Tight. Good song. Solid song. Um yeah, I mean, in the, the the day and age of like featured artists, it's kind of it's harder because there's not so many artists that are iconic enough. Yeah, they gonna be, like I mean, like it's Drake like we talked about with Eminem. Dude. Yeah, like Drake kind of like I think Drake was one of those like last scenes because Drake had a lot of those songs like when DJ Khaled was making all those like collab songs with like Chris Brown and like you know Drake and Lil Wayne. DJ Khaled, he start yeah because I mean best. like the song "Take Care" with Rihanna and Drake was a good song that featured both of them equally enough. Um, but I think that's like kind of that last era where you had a lot of artists that took the time to give themselves enough credibility that when they teamed up, it was like, fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. Like, wow, that's awesome seeing all those like eyes on one song. Holy shit. Now it's kind of like there's nobody really out there. I mean, obviously now. Post Malone bringing on Ozzy Osbourne, which eventually sparked Ozzy into this new album. Um, but again, it's, it's like... By I don't the way, know. Ordinary dude. Man came out. Did you hear it? The song he did with Elton John. Oh God! There's another one came out with Ozzy. Yeah, Ozzy yeah. and Elton John. Well, to listen to it. After crazy. The show. That's actually a pretty good match. It it isn't, or it should be. It, it should be. It's not horrible. 
It's yeah. not horrible, but it's definitely not going to be in my top 10 or even top 20 Ozzy songs. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. yeah it just it just doesn't doesn't cut it. But it all in all, it isn't bad. One I'll more honorable message I wanted to say is off of SAP also is um Brother, where it has Ann and Nancy Wilson from Heart. That is cool too. Yeah. You're right. That's a, yeah. yeah, those are very good features. I totally on forgot that. about that. We just talked about that too. I mean, they the only song. do harmonies, but yeah. it's still good. Like yeah. the harmonies are amazing. Yeah. Greg Dooley on the one Foo Fighters song on the first album, Ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> he's not oh. the only other featured musician he plays the that like real uh heavy sounding guitar not heavy but like wide yeah yeah, yeah. speaking of dave Grohl and first album foo fighters did you see the video from uh dime bash this year where dave Grohl gets on stage with anthrax and they play weenie beanie no yeah what? really That's yeah kinda cool dude speaking, it's really cool speaking of anthrax honorable mention public enemy oh yeah yeah, that's a good. Bring the uh, news. Yeah, that really kind of like put Anthrax back on the map, dude. Oh fuck yeah! Anyway, right. so that wraps it up, I guess, for this topic. I guess, do you have? I guess let's go around the table and what, in your opinion, would be the best, the best show stealer of a song? I I I think most iconic for me again was like the Under Pressure thing, but like the best were like, Snoop, not Mudgy thing. <sighs> That one's, god damn, that's tough between that one. But I really, I'm gonna go beat it, just because I'm still a huge Michael Jackson fan, regardless. Yeah. But that's because that song to this day, you want to talk about a song that's like still fresh always. Every time I hear it, I I, I think beat it every time I hear it is still just as good as the first time. Yeah. It's that good and that that solo and even just the riff. I mean, just the whole. Yeah, it's just it's undeniable, dude. Yeah. Undeniable. You want to talk about when we watched Higher Gun? You were talking about like him writing songs for Steely Dan and shit. Yeah. It's about great leads. Like that's just one of those songs where it's like that, that you, you can't not hear that anymore. And you know for a fact when they were in the control room and Eddie was playing that shit, Quincy Jones was like, Fuck "Yes, yeah, dude, here we go. <laughs> yep, this is what this song needed, baby." Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was on the money. That was um, on the money. My probably my feature that stole the song was forever when eminem did his verse yeah eminem's verse and forever is fucking insane yeah like in my opinion i think yeah, that might be one, one of the best eminem verses that that i will say is debatable but just for that song specific and a show stealer i'll agree with that but best eminem verse it's definitely within the top i five. would need like an algorithm man because there's just so many if i had to like narrow them in just verses alone or even just certain hooks certain lines yeah. Um, but yeah, dude, definitely as a show stealer, that's probably one of Eminem's like top echelon songs. Oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah definitely. Last week, we suggested for all of you guys to watch remastered the two killings of Sam cook, the Sam cook story directed, uh, directed, directed by Kelly Duane, um, Netflix documentary, uh, from the remastered series, obviously, um, IMDb rated this at a 7.2 out of 10. Um, there's no reviews actually for this one. So this is another one where we're going to give the first review of this remastered film. Um, so I actually didn't really even know much about Sam Cooke till I watched this. Like, I mean, obviously I know how he was killed. I mean, that's just kind yeah. of, um, yeah. 
Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, no, I was just going to say, it was just very interesting. I mean, even especially, too, like the homicide was ruled as a justifiable homicide. Yeah, is what it's it was. almost like it was set up. It really was. Um, and like the whole story, like didn't know who he was. Edda James questioned it. She's yeah. a very respected mm-hmm. singer. She's like, the, the official story was that he got in a fight with one guy and then, or whatever, and um, his head was like almost separated from his shoulders. Yeah, what 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 um I found to be interesting was that the the lady at the desk that shot him the hotel it was a hotel manager yeah hotel yeah. manager shot him thirty times right Jesus Christ yeah. with a gun yeah. that held six bullets so you're telling me you reloaded that cocksucker five, five times. times yeah like I that I would have been on the defense team and been like. You reloaded that gun five times, and he wasn't fucking smoked by well, the second and, bullet. But yeah, I you think had to too, keep shooting him, like he wasn't incapacitated yeah. at least yeah. to the point where he wasn't. A well, even after anymore. you get through like the first twelve bullets, there's nobody really coming back from that. Like even Fifty Cent would have to call it quits. He had um, the same yeah. manager that yeah. the Beatles that bro- we were talking about yeah, broke up broke the Beatles, Beatles earlier, <laughs> Alan Klein. Oh, that, uh, yeah, that's crazy. Alan Klein fucked him hard though, and they bring that up in the movie too, Fuck where um. Yeah, where he, um, you know, Sam Cooke was trying to make a label for the artist, basically what Frank Sinatra did. Yeah, with uh, and yeah, um, Alan Klein was supposed to be like his right hand man with it. And when the contracts came in and he signed them, he went through and looked over them again. It gave Alan Klein one hundred percent ownership of the record label and leave. And uh, basically, Sam Cooke was his employee. Yeah, hmm. fucked him hard. Yeah, and then it it just seemed you know the way the movie made it play out was. The fact with Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X and Sam Cooke, they were all three major, you know, uh, not civil, I, I guess civil rights activists, but they were major figures in the African-American in the community. civil rights movement, yeah. Yeah, and basically they just, uh, ba- what I'm drawing from this is that they had to figure out a way to separate this power trio at, and um, they came up with some fucking crazy fucked up story and he's dead yep it's just it's crazy to think about that and then um you know the riots that happened soon afterwards yeah, it is crazy when you think about it. you hear so much of a story and then it makes you think about what really actually happened and you'll never know but there's people out there that do know like even when we were talking about that you know guy who died recently the rapper nipsey hustle yeah where there was like that whole conspiracy that there was a possibility he found out the cure for aids or something like that and they were trying to like all these conspiracies about how he was killed why he was killed and it's the same thing going back with sam cook like you mentioned with the civil rights thing i mean obviously we know what happened with malcolm x we know what happened without you know dr martin luther king yep um, but yeah, it's just, it's like, we'll never know. We'll only get what we can get from the news and the Well, the FBI admitted in 1999 that they killed Martin Luther King. Yeah, but I'm saying, I'm not talking mm. about that specifically. I'm just talking about, and that's a whole different subject. <laughs> I'm talking about the Sam Cooke thing. Um, but yeah, with the Sam Cooke thing, dude, it's just, it's sad because again, we'll never really get that whole story. I mean, like many other stories in the world today, but um, yeah, I mean, even the fact that it was ruled as a justifiable homicide. 30 bullets. Yeah, and like not That's even not like a self-defense killing. It's like the act itself was like allowed due to a prior incident. But it, it's just, it's very weird. It, the whole thing's just very weird. It makes no sense. And like, yeah, the fact 30 bullets were shot from a magazine that held six rounds at a time. Um, 
Yeah, it makes no sense in the end of the end of just the wild. I feel like as we watch more of these remasters, they're getting better and better. Yeah, like this one is like extremely good. What was the one that we watched a few weeks ago? What was the last remaster we watched? Um, Tricky Dick and uh, the Man in Black. Man in Black. That one was really good too. Yeah, I mean, obviously, anything's a step up from uh, Devil at the Crossroads. That was fucking horrible. Horrible. Yeah, we're not gonna go back to that. We're gonna, <laughs> I don't want to get off subject. But um, yeah. So IMDb gave this a seven point two out of ten. I think I'm going to give this a solid seven. I, I I think it was interesting. I and I learned a lot from it. That's fair. You know, I'll, I'll take a seven point five on it. Honestly, I'm just six point eight. All right. So our general consensus is a seven point one out of ten, and I think that's fair. I think that's extremely fair. And you know, it was just a it was a good watch. And honestly, I would suggest anybody to watch it, even if they're in the slightest bit interested. Yeah. Suggestion of the week. I got Galaxy 500 on fire. Uh, my track is strange. Uh, I forget what year it came out. Um, they were dubbed Sadcore. 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 They're not heavy at all. Or yeah. Wait. <laughs> Sad like S A D core. Yeah. Sadcore. Yeah. Oh. But anyway, on fire. Very good alternative album, I'll say. Nice. What do you got, Steve? Um, I'm going to recommend the 1993 album by Swedish melodic black metal band that is called Dissection. Uh, the album is called The Somber Lane. It's their first full-length release. The song I'm recommending is track four. It's called A Land Forlorn. It was uh, slowcore, sorry. Yeah, sad chord didn't seem so right. Sad chord. And it's from 1989. Awesome. Is that a real genre? We'll have to look yes, that up. Yes, it's a real yeah. genre. Sad core? <laughs> All right, I'm going to have to branch into the sad core, expand my horizons a bit, and branch on into the sad core. You don't know sad core, bro? Did uh, Sunny Day Real Estate start that genre? No, they were emo. They were emo, but it's like, are there influences from Sunny Day Real Estate? Did sad core evolve from the emo scene? I think Sunny Day Real Estate mostly came from like... No, 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 I'm saying about all these sad core bands you listed. I didn't see Sunny Day Real Estate on the list. I wonder if they they were a lot of them were like before Sunny Day Real Estate. Before, yeah. Oh, okay. I'll have to check this out. Sadcore, twenty twenty. It's time for some sadcore. Bill, what do you got, buddy? I'm going to take this one into a deep cut for um, those of you that may or may not have ever heard this before. There is a song that features both Tupac and Biggie. Yeah, but it was posthumous, right? Negatory. Um, the it's a single from um, Heavy D and the Boys producer uh, oh, Eddie F. Okay. Let's yeah. get it on the album. The song is "Let's Get It On." The song came out in 1994. If you have not heard this song yet, stop listening right now. Uh, Put this shit on, and you will thank me next week. Good choice. Our group suggestion is Clive Davis, the soundtrack of our lives, directed by Chris Perkle. Um, basically, just another uh, documentary about the life uh, and work of music producer Clive Davis. Yeah, another one of those guys that got his hands on like everything, a lot of shit you don't realize. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, guys. Well, that about wraps it up for this week. Once again, this is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off.
but you don't have to stay away for too long. You can catch us on our social medias at facebook.com slash RATM podcast, Instagram and Twitter at RATM podcast. And as always, our email is open and willing and ready for all of your hot, juicy submissions. We're moist. At RATM podcast at gmail.com. We are still taking submissions for bands and artists and whoever you want. You want to give us topic ideas you want us to talk about? Do we suck? Do we not suck? Tell us what you think. We'll get back to you. Maybe even shout you out in an episode. Maybe you can get your feature and steal the show. But until then, this is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off for the evening. I'm Bill. I'm Connor. I'm Steve. Have a good night, guys. Thanks for listening. The cookie crumbled.